I really could not see myself like where did I fit in uh, as a young person and as a person who really wanted to um, be out in the world. And so I ended up coming to America at the age of 22 to pursue a master's degree in computer science. Hi, this is Kutsianaki, and welcome to Down to the Struts, the podcast about disability, design, and intersectionality. Today, we'll listen in on my conversation with Bhavna Mehta. Bhavna is an Indian-American artist who specializes in cut paper and embroidery. Bhavna has exhibited across Southern California, and she lives and works in San Diego. Bhavna and I talked about her journey from India to the United States and its connection to her journey with living in a disabled body. She describes both as forms of immigration. If you want to learn more about disability, ableism, and the American immigration system, check out season two, episode one, Law, Policy, and Disabled Immigrants. For now, I hope you value Bhavna's wisdom about migration and the body as much as I did. Okay, let's get down to it. Well, thank you so much, Bhavna, for joining us on the podcast. I'm so honored to have you. Thank you, Katsia, for inviting me. Um, I'd love to start um, by asking you to briefly introduce yourself and and tell us a little bit about your disability journey. I was born in India uh, and I was born into an extended family system. So I lived with my father's uh, brothers, their wives, uh, their kids who were my cousins. At the age of seven, I was in Mumbai, which was about west of my hometown, Ahmednagar, in about 150 miles. And I was in Mumbai for to just to visit some relatives with my mother. And I happened to get sick. And within a day, I had lost the use of my legs and my hips. And I was diagnosed with polio. I was paralyzed. I then was fitted with braces and I learned to walk with crutches. And that's how I came back home. For many, many months, I came back home to my hometown. Everything had changed for me. And also also for the rest of the family, like suddenly here was this kid who, who needed to be carried, who needed a lot of help. And so things were quite different. Although I don't have a lot of memory from that time, I do remember that my father said, like, you're going to school. Like, there's nothing, there's no, there's no, nothing to talk about. You're going to school. And and so by, you know, because of that real adamant, his his sense that school was going to be even more important for me, for me than it was initially in his mind because he was trained as an engineer. Um, School, just like school had changed his life. And he knew that for me, it was gonna be really important to have an education. And despite the fact that there were no other disabled kids in school or college or university, all three places where I went to school in India, 
I kind of blundered forth, I would say. You know, when you're a kid, you just think like, okay, this is what you have to do. And you kind of have some support. I had a lot of support. My family really kind of rallied around me, I think, uh, is the way I think about it. Um, people carried my books all the time. You know, somebody came to drop me off. Somebody came to pick me up. Uh, that wasn't the way kids were going back and forth to school. And then eventually when I was a teenager, my father built, my father built a three-wheeler, like it's called a, a rickshaw, like a rickshaw-like contraption, <laughs> um, but it's, it's a vehicle. And it enabled me to drive myself to college, which was about only about a kilometer away from my school, from my house. In that way, I finished college. Uh, I then went to university. And then eventually, at the age of 21, right at the cusp of like adulthood, uh, I had the opportunity and I was surrounded by women and men who were making preparations to go to graduate school in America. And I decided to join them. And it wasn't it wasn't like a spur of the minute decision. It came from years of having talked to uh, my uncle who live in the who lived in the Bay Area and who is who used to be an orthopedic surgeon, and he would tell me and especially my parents that things were much better in America, like that I could be independent, I could live on my own. I could have a different kind of life than he thought was going to be possible for me in India. As a kid, I think I didn't, you know, nobody thinks about it, like how your, what your future is going to be like. But as an adolescent and as a, as a young adult, I definitely could see like, I couldn't like really locate my future. Uh, I didn't see my future being similar to the other women around me. And I couldn't see, I absolutely could not see it being the same as the male friends I had in college. Uh, many of my male friends were entering the Indian Army and other male friends were entering their parents' businesses, their father's businesses. And so I, I really could not see myself like, where did I fit in uh, as a young person and as a person who really wanted to um, be out in the world. And so I ended up coming to America at the age of 22 to pursue a master's degree in computer science. My disability journey after I came to America was definitely uh, helped by the fact that the ADA had just passed. So the ADA had passed like within six months of my coming to America. Uh, I came in 1989 and the ADA passed in January of 1990 because I came to California and I realized that I did not have to use my braces and crutches anymore after I came to California, which is how I flew from India to California. And then within a week or two weeks, I completely stopped using my braces and I started using my manual wheelchair full time. And I've never really gone back. That was a huge change for me, like just a massive, massive change because it enabled me to just do many more things. It, it gave me a way to be 
I suppose more included because wheelchairs were more common. <laughs> I didn't see anybody wearing braces and crutches when I came to California, but I definitely saw other students in wheelchairs on campus. That was a big change. And then I got a job. I got another job. I got married. And through all that, I think the disability journey has been one that keeps moving, you know, like it keeps pushing me into like new directions. And also it keeps kind of revealing itself. I'm curious, you know, you you talk about the decision to come to the United States to for graduate study as a pivotal moment and describe how it reoriented the way you thought about your disability, the example of the braces and crutches versus using the wheelchair. So I wanted to go back to that a little bit and unpack it some more. When you were growing up, what were the messages that you sort of got from your community and your family around your disability? And like, how did immigration and, you know, moving to the U.S., you know, shift the way in which you thought about yourself, the way that your family thought about you, like what what was that like? And 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 did that, how did that change for you? Aside mm. from like kind of like the the sort of, you know, embracing the wheelchair and that sort of thing, but just kind of mm. attitudinal changes. Mm. I think to be honest, we didn't talk about disability too much, uh, either in my family or when I came to America. Uh, basically the idea was that you're already, and this is not, this is not to say that uh, this was done in any kind of mean or put down, put down way, you know, like let's put her down by saying that. But I think the idea really was that I was already kind of getting a lot of attention, <laughs> maybe not so good attention, but I was already getting, I was already different. I already was standing out or sitting down or what I, what have you. <laughs> and so, so why would, I think the idea talking about the body as it is talking about the body is not a done thing. Uh, and then talking about the disabled body is also really fraught with like very awkward language and uh, a lot of like, here she is like, she can't do this. Like, you know, it, the language is basically like, what can't you do? Uh, and how you're different and how how it is going to affect the rest of your life. I think that's what the language is around. And, and so I think everybody shied away from that. Like, I think people didn't want to point out how different I was. And I appreciate that. Like I, I do understand, I do understand how hard it was uh, to point out the differences. Although I think there was a lot of curiosity, but I think there was also not enough language to say, well, these are the ways you are different. And you know. I mean, that's okay. Like everybody is different. And so I think that discussion didn't happen either in my growing up or or when I came to America. I think those that kind of talk, I I only have, I've only really had it with my husband who's also disabled. <laughs> uh, my husband George is also paraplegic. And so I've I've really only, I think dived into how how what does it mean to live in a different body with George 
Um, at the same time, I think going back to the idea that coming to America was this transition for me. And I think I, I, I'm thinking about how when I came to America, I was young, I was single, and I was a woman. And all that is associated with young and single and woman in California, I definitely was like not part of that. <laughs> I was not part of that. You know, it meant it, it meant you you were dating. It meant you were, you know, you were like going to parties and clubs and, and drinking. And it meant skimpy clothes. It meant, you know, uh, flirtation. And I did not have any of that. So what I had was a very, <laughs> again, a very awkward kind of like entry into a culture where I, I just felt like I didn't fit in. I mean, I had friends and I had a, a good circle of, of people I hung out with, but it was never any question that I was different. Um, and I wasn't going to be doing everything that everybody else was around me was doing. And so I think that has carried over. And part of it is my personality, probably, because I'm shy and I'm Maybe I'm rich. I retreat a little bit. I'm not like, oh, here I am. I'm this sexy woman. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't I don't express that. I think part of it is that you just said never you just never learn how to do that in the Indian culture. Right. Like if you start talking about your body and you're an Indian woman, that's like like a little weird. <laughs> uh, unless you have like a beautiful body, you know, and then you can talk about how fair your skin is and how tall you are and how graceful you are. But if you want to talk about a not a body that does not fit in those kind of categories, as a woman, I don't know what your place is. And, and that was like, you know, that was just like triple times the issue with me. So I think talking about the body and being in the body, like really embodying the body has always been kind of tricky for me. And I think that embodiment for a disabled body can be like you're really in your body or you're really out of your body, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so so I think I think those things has have carried over through my growing up in India and entering another culture where the body is like <laughs> where, a, where a woman's able body is. Um, everywhere, like in media, in advertising, in in literature, um, that's everywhere. And it's you you just know like that's not your body. <laughs> so yeah, I think both that carries that has carried over in both the cultures for me. That's really interesting. Just kind of like where being in your body was both the same but also different across the mm. culture. So that being said, what do you what do you think is the relationship between immigration and disability? Mm. Disability could be a form of immigration and immigration could be a form of disability. Um, and I, I regard my disability at the age of seven and my immigration at the age of 22, like as these big transitions. And also not just transitions, like transformations. And when I think about 
disability as a kind of immigration. I think about like how when you acquire a disability, a permanent disability or a chronic illness or a catastrophic injury, I mean, you know, it could be anything. Like you travel to another country. <laughs> you basically are entering a space where you have to learn another language. You have to figure out customs that are, um, you know, local to that place. You have to navigate certain attitudes and certain rituals that that are completely foreign to you. I mean, when you when I became disabled, I basically entered a space where I wasn't playing with other kids out in the, you know, out in the yard. Uh, or I wasn't getting like, you know, up going up the tree to you know, pluck the pluck the ripe guavas. <laughs> uh, so you're entering another country where basically you are closer to the, I was closer to the ground. I was trying to figure out how to move in a different body. And I was also, um, I was also figuring out like how adults were perceiving me. Like I, I wasn't a kid anymore, almost. I think when I became disabled, I suddenly became old, like, you know, because you do you're doing things what old people are doing. Like you're not moving that fast. You're, <laughs> you know, you're sitting in one place, um, and uh, given special attention, things like that. And then when I think about immigration as a form of disability, uh, again, I think when you immigrate, you're suddenly in a in a place where you really need a lot of help. I think about that, like when you become an immigrant, you really need a lot of help. And as a disabled person, you need a lot of help. And who's gonna help you? You know, how to figure out who's gonna help you, where your allies are, um, how do you figure out how to speak this new language? And then how to get, how to claim it also how to claim another country as your own as you live there and as you as you build a community in this new country as you figure out how you fit in and will never fit in how you become part of the politics and the geography and all those things can feel disabling at sometimes because because i think that it's so hard <laughs> when you when you live in the country that you're born it's like you're learning not just from your family but you're learning from everybody around you how to be a citizen or what you like about being a citizen and what you don't like about a being citizen when you come to another country and your family is still without a family then you basically have to figure it out you know and and create this new identity for yourself those ideas of disability and immigration just overlap for me in ways that are really like <laughs> just made me make me think about how how to you know as as an artist which i am i'm like you you want to make meaning out of the things that have happened in your life and so these these kind of larger ideas about how we really navigate in a new country, how we navigate in a new body or a changed body are interesting to me.
recently were one of the featured artists in Amanda Caccia's um, mm. exhibit script rescript at mm. San Diego State University. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and how the, the exhibit was focused on disability and art and mm. how disability comes into your art and your body of work as you try to make meaning in those in, the, in that medium? Um, thank you for that question. And I would love to talk about the exhibit and specifically Amanda Kachia, who is an extraordinary uh, curator and a thinker and a writer. And she, she created this exhibit uh, at San Diego State University University Gallery and called it Script Rescript. Amanda has uh, written and curated many, many exhibits about art and disability. And she has a large network of artists who she works with. And she uh, has um, a wide reach in terms of her knowledge and her research. Script Rescript really came about because we wanted to create an exhibit where uh, the main idea was how do artists with disabilities take the script that they have been handed? So, for example, script really comes from like a medical script, like a medical diagnosis. You know, you've been handed this medical diagnosis. And if you're an artist and making work, how do you take that script and really rescript it, like flip it over, rewrite it? add to the script, create uh, art out of it. And Amanda was included 10, I think, artists, visual artists in this exhibition. All of us, I was one of them. And there were uh, artists from the West Coast. There was an artist from Mexico. And all of us were taking, taking scripts, scripts that we have had all our lives. Uh, so taking the idea that our bodies are different and using that to really create a new narrative, a new visual story. Uh, and we had a very successful exhibition. Uh, and we also were able to have a discussion about how this exhibit came about. And also we were able to create audio descriptions and invite students from different classes to come see the exhibition. The fun part of having an exhibition in a college is that many different departments can see, uh, can bring students. So you don't have to be an art student to go see the exhibition. You know, you can be, uh, you know, a history student or a sociology student. Uh, in fact, I went and talked to a class uh, where the teacher was teaching a class about assistive technology. And so many different kinds of students can come see the exhibit in a university gallery and take something from it. So there was there were many different things that happened along with the exhibit that were really, um, really great. Um, I got to meet a couple of the artists in the show. And I also, you know, got to make some new work for the show. In my own personal art story, I think this was an important exhibit because for many years I have been making art, but I haven't really figured out like how to include my own disability ideas and how to how to kind of really 
kind of go deeper into my own story to to tell it in a way that was visually kind of interesting and challenging for me. I think in my own personal art practice, I haven't been able to, I hadn't been able to do that. Is there a piece that you created for this exhibit that has particular mm-hmm. meaning for you? If so, could you describe it and, and tell us a little bit more about it? I have x-rays from a, a very intense surgery I had when I was a teenager and I had surgery that corrected my scoliosis and it was it was a surgery where they put like two steel rods to hold up my spine uh, my spinal column and also the doctors had decided that it was time for for me to have the surgery because I was sort of fully grown at that time but I also was really really struggling uh, with the scoliosis. I think if I hadn't had this surgery, I would have never come to America <laughs> and I would never not be here talking to you. Um, so the surgery sort of was transformative for me. And I have these x-rays. I have the before surgery x-ray, which shows the entire scoliosis of the spinal cord, spinal column. And then I have post-surgery x-rays that show the metal rod and the spinal column and the correction. The scoliosis is not completely corrected. It cannot be, but it's corrected much more than it used to be. And so I have I have these two sets of x-rays. So I decided to use the x-ray as, as, as a backdrop for embroidery. And what I did was I printed the x-ray and the x-rays are kind of normal size. They're like, you know, just like a sheet of paper, small sheet of paper. But I printed them. I printed it really large on a piece of silk. And then I embroidered um, I embroidered on the x-ray. The embroidery on the x-ray evokes a landscape. It evokes a river. It evokes mountains and valleys and meadows and trees and flowers um deserts and pools and ponds <laughs> um so the color choices and how the embroidery is laid out the the kind of the repetitive stitching in the embroidery all of it is evoking landscape and uh, nature uh, and I had been playing with the idea that as a disabled person I haven't been able to be out in nature so much and I really wanted to kind of figure out a way to claim nature. Like I wanted to, I wanted my body to be part of nature. Uh, I think that's where I've been. My my thinking has been in the last couple of years is like, how do we, how are we, how are you, how is a human body part of nature? And so often like nature is the mountain that you're going to climb and nature is somewhere else and it's unreachable for me like I just find it sort of very hard to be you know in those spaces and even when I am it's it's really like so much like to figure out about like is this going to be accessible you know am I going to be able to be on that path you know, how much help am I going to need? What's the grade of the, you know, the path? I want the experience of nature to be closer to me, like closer to me in terms of my senses and closer to me in terms of my 
own understanding of what nature is. And so I'd been thinking about those ideas and by embroidering nature on the X-ray, I'm like, I just want it inside of me, I suppose. <laughs> you know, the X-ray is like, the X-ray basically shows you what's inside, right? You know, it's showing you an architecture of your body. It's showing you how the body's put together. And, and then when, when you have ideas of nature on top of that, like you sort of like are, are filling it, filling that architecture with an idea of a tree or an idea of a meadow. And in doing so, I think I, I want, I want access basically, <laughs> you know, I want access. And that was the piece. That was one piece that I created for the show. And it was, uh, it was just, again, taking a script, which is an X-ray an X-ray showing you like, here's your body. It's so different and strange. And then re-scripting it by saying like, yeah, it's, it is different and it is strange, but it is still a body. It is still alive and it is still nature. I love that. And it also evokes to me, I don't know if this is what you were thinking also, but it connects back to what you were saying earlier about disability as this other country, this other landscape, mm. this other way of experiencing the world that is, mm. can sometimes, especially when you're new in it, like feel sort of foreign. Are there any projects that you're working on currently that you're particularly excited about? I'm still continuing to make work on the idea that I just talked about. Usually when I, you know, usually as an artist, you have like a fundamental or a core idea and then you, I want to make more work connected to this idea so that it's a it's a body of work. <laughs> uh, and No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended, exactly. <laughs> It's continuing to kind of simmer inside of me. I also am beginning to write a little bit about this idea that, you know, how do we, how do we think about nature? And I've been very influenced in this thinking by an artist and a writer who in fact was also in our show. And I just want to take a couple of minutes to talk about her. Um, her name is Sunaura Taylor. She is a fantastic painter. Uh, she also is feminist. Uh, she is a writer. And she has been she has been researching and writing about how a disabled body can be instructive in living in a disabled ecology. So her main idea is that look, the earth is, the earth is disabled <laughs> at this point, you know, we have so many, so many like big issues that are exacerbated by climate change, by the presence of poisons in our, in our land, uh, the presence of plastic in our oceans, the idea that trees are dying, uh, the idea that there are droughts and rivers are dying. I mean, you know, there's just so many climate and land related problems around the world. 
And so the world is disabled, like the land is disabled. And how can a disabled, how does a disabled body exist in society? And how can we live in these disabled ecologies? How do we take care of our land, even though it's disabled? Um, I've been very influenced by her uh, in my thinking, and I'm I'm wanting to do uh, more research into that. Taylor is a great place to start for me. She's a fantastic writer, and I I would recommend uh, her essay. There's an essay in the Orion magazine that's very interesting, and there's an also an essay in the feminist magazine called Lux magazine. That's also very interesting. She writes a lot about animals. Her book is called, it's called Beasts of Burden, Animal and Disability Liberation. So uh, she is, uh, she's one thinker that, that is very influential for me. And she also happens to be a visual artist. Well, I'm personally very excited to see where this intellectual journey takes you. And we'll certainly share those uh, resources and links in our show notes so other people can read more of Taylor's work. And mm -hmm. thank you for sharing about that. Mm. Where can our listeners find you and your work? Mm. I do have a website, bhavnameta.com. I have another essay that was published in Catapult magazine that has that is online. I've been really fortunate, like people find my website, they look at it. And some people find the contact information on the website and do write to me. Uh, it's always exciting to to hear from people. I mean, I feel like the more connected we are in terms of our individual experiences, but kind of the 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 places where we find commonality, I think we feel not alone. I, I I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it's really true. Like the more we hear about other people's stories, the more less alone, the less alone we feel. I definitely felt that when I got to know you. Oh, well, the feeling is is extremely mutual. And I'm so honored that you agreed to share your story on the podcast and so that I can can share your beautiful self with everyone else. So thank you, Bhavna. This has been such thank a wonderful you, conversation. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. You're like, you're, you're a light, you're a bright mm -hmm. light and you are uh, a warm, warm and kind person. And I'm excited to talk to you and get to know you. This episode was produced by Alana Nevins and me. Our social media manager is Avery Annapol. Special thanks to Claire Shanley for designing our logo and to Eiffel Gangsta Beats for our theme music. If you like what you're hearing or reading, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you love to listen. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts and join our Facebook group, Down to the Struts Podcast. If you want a monthly update from me, including news from the disability community, you can subscribe to our newsletter, Getting Down to It, on Substack. If you have disability news or thoughts to share, drop us a line at downtothestruts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you in a couple of weeks so we can get back down to it.